You'll never know All the people, places, things that you see Welcome to People, Places, and Things podcast hosted by me, Shay Moore. This podcast is all about the people I love, cool places, and the dope things to do in Kansas City and beyond. Today, I'm talking to a Kansas City native, an HBCU graduate, a millennial, and a writer. Aaron Randall has been writing for the Kansas City Star for the last three and a half years and has accepted a fellowship at the New York Times. Today, we'll talk about his journey to New York City, the anxiety he's feeling about the move, and we're going to find out if millennials just don't believe in love. Is that a thing? We were on an HBCU panel, and I was struck with the emotion that you expressed as you were talking about your life here in Kansas City and then being a student at Howard University. What did the HBCU experience do for you as a person and as a man? It taught me how to walk more strongly in this world. I know like a, a common debate is like, is the HBCU necessary and HBCU versus PWI, which I think is kind of a silly argument anyway. But what I really like about HBCUs is it recognizes that you are a minority in the world and that you're at a disadvantage. But what it teaches you is how to play the game and how to walk more strongly in your agency and, you know, just be who you are and understand that who you are is powerful. Right. So like uh, one of the best things I was taught at Howard is it's not um, necessarily what you know, it's who you know, who you know gets you in the door, what you know keeps you there. And the second thing is just like, you know, no doesn't mean no, it just means not right now. And when I think about all my opportunities I've had in my career, it's been those two things that helped me out. You know, when I got to the star, I sent my resume into the star like three or four times with no response at all. Then I found out through a mutual friend that Therese Paler, the ex-sports writer, he was a Howard alum. And so I reached out to Therese on Twitter. And within a week, I met the same person that I had been emailing. And within a month, I was writing cover stories for Ink Magazine. You know what I'm saying? So like my resume didn't change in that month. You know what I'm saying? It's just that it was who I knew. And when I talked to some students and just some journalists and just some young people in Kansas City who like didn't go to an HBCU, I see that. There's a difference in like how they were taught and how they were emboldened and, and how they were taught to move through the world. And of course, there are pros and cons to going to a PWI, just like an HBCU. But I just think that for me, being a young black man, it taught me just how to maneuver and how to embrace my strengths and my difference and use that to my advantage. I saw on socials that you've gotten an awesome opportunity with the New York Times. Back in your hood, yeah, what's up? What about the experiences that you had at the Star in being a Kansas City native are you going to bring with you to New York City? I was lucky in KC because I had, obviously, the home court advantage of growing up here and living here. So a lot of the stories that I had in my mind, like the Westport story, I had seen that happening for years and years. Years. Then there are other stories like the story that I just wrote about Lincoln Prep rapidly decreasing in black population. That came from just talking to literally my dad. And then another story about Ollie Gates and his uh, friend uh, Frank, this white guy who he buys wood from and their um, friendship for over 40 years creating Casey's barbecue scene. That came from like talking to my mom and like going to the YMCA and hearing her um, senior sneakers group talk about it because Frank's in the um, senior, senior sneakers class. So like that's taught me that the best stories are with the people and there's so many people in New York and I'll be a Metro reporter 
And so I'm just looking forward to just like walking down the street and just like seeing what happens when I go in and give me a little chopped cheese from the bodega, you know, or just go holler at whomever on the corner, you know, and I might get cussed out during the way, but that's going to be a part of the experience. You know, I know how you, I know how, you, how you New Yorkers are, so I'm ready. Like the skin is still kind of Midwest thin. I'm going to get thick skin. When did you tap into your voice as a writer? I began to tap into that it was really over time like I started out blogging when I was in college I had a, a a blog I found out pretty quickly that people were kind of attracted to kind of just like my voice and you know my tone and just the way that I kind of looked at the world and uh over time just writing for different people different spaces I wrote for my magazine uh, at Howard I wrote for the Hilltop Howard's newspaper and I started freelancing so for me it wasn't like there was like this very concentrated period it was just like for me growing over time to develop my voice in different areas whether it was magazines or newspapers before I came to the star I was at the, I was at the KC call you know I learned from Eric Wesson and then um also I did like social media for like the AARP random stuff you know so it's like just a mix of all kinds of things that kind of just combine to make me who I am I guess I think that I've also noticed the maturation in your voice and in the pieces that you write where you are confronting controversial topics. You know, mm -hmm. we've all heard the phrase Kansas City nice. So there are things mm -hmm. that tend to happen yeah. in the social uh, breakdown of this city that people don't want to really talk about. And yeah. it makes people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm especially topics about racism or implicit bias, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What do you think caused you to feel confident enough in your pen to tackle some of these issues in Kansas City? Just knowing the truth. Somebody got to do it, you know, just the way that like you and Bri operate a very specific space in radio. There's not very many of us in media in KC who have that voice. And I think that it is really important for us to use our voices to tell the truth and to tell our people's experience. And what I envy about like your job is that you're at a black conversation with, you know, mostly black staff and they understand and you're projecting to largely a lot of black people at the star. That's not the case. I don't know. It was never even a moment of like, you know, should I do this or should I be scared? It was just like it has to be done. And I have to use my platform to do what I know is right and to spread what I know is the truth, which is that black folks in this city are systemically facing just marginalization. There are two KCs, essentially. And I think that the more that we open the other folks in this city's eyes to our experiences, my goal is just that, you know, I don't, I know that I won't bring change overnight, but I just want to get conversations started that maybe one day lead to change. It may have been easier for you to stay in DC, <laughs> a place where these kinds of conversations are more commonplace. People are more emboldened to, to, to say what they really feel. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to come back home? It was twofold. One, I'm going to keep it 100. Like, it was hard, like, surviving in D.C. as a young writer. You know, D.C. is very politically based. At that time, I, was, I wasn't I was as much into political writing. So I had a few job offers that ultimately I didn't get. And it was, like, almost in that adversity, it kind of hit me, like, well, why are you even trying to do this here when your city needs you and not even that's not said like with ego, but it just means like, you know, kind of like, you know, the brain drain and or like, or like the talented tens of people just kind of leave their cities and go elsewhere all the time. I felt like I hadn't really given my time to my city and I was like, this is a perfect opportunity. So I came back here and it was just really cool how well the city embraced me. Like, uh, like I said, the KC call within a few weeks talking to them, they were cool with me working with them. And that turned into Ink Magazine. I used those clips again to national publications like Ebony and Complex. So it kind of was 
birthed out of this need because I really couldn't get a job in D.C. But at the same time, I never felt like defeated. I just felt like, you know what, this is just like my not my moment. It's not my calling right now in D.C. My calling should be to go back home. And I think that that was the best thing that I could have done. So you're leaving for the New York Times. Are you experiencing any anxiety about leaving what's so familiar right now and your family and friends? And probably would be easy to just continue on at the star and continue doing what you're doing. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think I'm having the first bouts of anxiety in my life, like actually feeling the emotional. I've never really had this constant feeling of unease and just like emotional like burden if i'm being honest i haven't really talked about this at all yet i started reading charlamagne and god's uh shook ones because you know he said he's going through anxiety too it's interesting but i also think that it's a sign that this is something that i need to do because if you're not scared you know as old adage says then maybe you you know you ain't doing the right thing you're not dreaming high enough exactly not afraid yeah yeah this is definitely i would say the biggest step of my life because when I went away last time from KC it was for college and then I was in DC and I always had found you know cool jobs that kept me employed it was a good life I was young I was chilling and when I left DC even when I came back home yeah I, didn't, I couldn't find a job in DC but I knew I had that safety blanket here in KC because it was my home but now it's like I'm going to New York where you know I'm working with some of the most talented people in my profession in the world period people that I've looked up to my whole life and I feel like in at the star, I know, like, again, with no ego, like, people can't do what I can do at the star. How is a 50-year-old white man going to know to write about two-step? You know, like, I know that I can just tell stories as the only person under 30 at the star as black from KC. Like, I know that I have a vantage point that makes me very unique and very just, like, necessary. But, like, at the times, like, I am very expendable. You know what I'm saying? Like, any day, it could be like, uh, well, he's ain't working out here. Cool. Daps, bye. So that, to me, kind of... It's a challenge that I do have some anxiety about. I'm also just really excited for and looking forward to. I've moved. Shoot. This is my 10th radio station. Wow. Six states. You know that. When you're moving to a new city. Yeah, give me some tips. I'm going to give you some. <laughs> Immediately immerse yourself in the city. When I moved to Kansas City, it was two-step and barbecue. I immediately went to a two-step class and learned two-step. I saw you out there. Because I it's like, listen, times. when you're in Rome, you need to do as the Romans mm. do. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand why something is done that way, just go into it with no judgment and just enjoy yourself. I also got connected with someone who was connected, Julie Jones. She was able to tell me, hey, this person, that person. Mm -hmm. And Brian B. Shining being from Kansas City also lent me some of his political capital. So find out who the man is or who the woman is there. My first two years here in Kansas City, I told myself I'm not going to sleep for the first two years because I was showing up to the opening of an envelope. If anybody asked me to show (laughs) up for anything, Uh I was there. Yeah. Because it's that important. Once people start seeing your name and seeing your byline, in my case, when people start hearing me on the radio, I kind of need to show up soon. Yeah. So they're like, oh, that's the lady. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was in the city quick. I I, I definitely noticed that. Like oh, it I seemed like you was. Running. Oh, you was a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> you was in here, and I and I appreciate that. You was fearless with that. that was and cool it helps see. that I didn't have any kids, and I'm unmarried. But other 
you know, people who have other attachments like that, it's, it's harder for them to jump right in there. But you moving to New York City with no kids, I'm assuming. Yeah, no kids, no, 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 no kids, no marriage. Okay. So you'll be able to hit that ground running. You yeah. sleep later. Yeah. Like now I'm starting to relax a little bit. Like uh-huh. when people ask me for something, you know, sometimes I don't go. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, initially mm-hmm. everything you come across as a really sensitive person is mm-hmm. That an accurate assessment of you? I think I'm sensitive to like, yeah, like my work, my passion, which is like telling stories. And I think when I get into like the station or the radio or interviews, I always get nervous because like as a journalist, it's usually my job to tell other people's stuff. So when it gets put on me, it's like, oh, I haven't thought about this or talked about this out loud in so long that it's like, oh, I have these emotions that I haven't really got out before. You know what I'm saying? One time we was talking about the Westport thing. I remember my voice started shaking. I was like, oh. Oh, you know, but it's like, oh, I haven't actually processed that I was right there and I watched, you know, Thomas get shot or I was, I haven't processed that I'm called a racist or, or this every single day in my email. Sometimes I like just kind of bury that and get to the next story. But yeah, when it comes to my people and when it comes to telling people stories and when it comes to people that are marginalized and oppressed, like, yeah, I'm very sensitive to that and I'm very passionate about that. So, you know, when I'm like not outside, um, when I'm outside of my job, People actually call me kind of callous because I'm just like, whatever, let's do it. Like, I, you know, I kind of keep it moving. But like when it comes to my job, I give it my all. So I guess it does take emotional toll on me. That's your superpower, though. Mm. Don't ever push that to the side. If you don't feel anything. I can't. I don't want to be that you're not human. No, (laughs) it's nothing wrong with that. We're in a society now where ragged edges and raw feelings. That's what people want. Mm-hmm. This is why Cardi B is as famous yeah. as she is yeah. because she doesn't care and says whatever she thinks. I'm a little older than you, so my generation was a little bit more putting forth this polished yeah, image. Polished, like yeah. I remember Brandy lying about being <laughs> pregnant because right, right, she was right, unmarried, right, right. and that's what people did. Mm-hmm. But now it's like whatever counts, whatever I'm feeling is what you're gonna get, and I don't think that that's a negative. I yeah. think in in the environment that we're in now, that's your superpower. So stay in touch with that. I don't know anything about you personally. Where did you grow up in Kansas City? In the 40s, uh, right by Brush Creek Community Center. I grew up in the Vineyard neighborhood. My family, the Randalls, they're kind of a big family. They're everywhere in this city. I went to school, Lincoln Prep, middle and high school. You know what I'm saying? That's actually where I was told on a whim by my yearbook teacher that I should be a writer. My first hustle was burning CDs, you know, uh, illegally downloading off a line wire. <laughs> You know, and but like, and I had a good computer back then, so like I was able to get CDs out quick. So I was burning CDs for old ladies at my daycare, for my cousins, <laughs> folks at school. I was able to get the good a la carte lunches because I was selling five CDs every day. And so doing that and doing it for like white folks in my school, black kids, like older folks, like that opened my eyes and my ears to like all kinds of music. And so that's when I kind of became like a music head. And that's why I wanted to originally become a music journalist. And um, when my yearbook teacher caught me hustling the CDs in in the middle of class, she was like, you know, in detention, like, so what what was you doing? I'm like, that's the hustle. That's my hustle. And she's like, well, you write good. You like music. You should be a music journalist. I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. She's like, yeah, you can be like Danielle Smith. She was the editor-in-chief of Vibe at that time. She was like, yeah, she's real cool with all celebrities without, without celebrity problems. And to a 17-year-old, I was like, oh, that sounds perfect. You know, I could be Beyonce friend. I have whole Beyonce problems. What's good? And so within like two years, I was, um, I made up, made up my mind, wanted to be a journalism major at Howard. And then um, I interned at Vibe. I actually ended up working for Danielle Smith-Wilson, which is really, really a cool moment. 
also was at Vibe when it got shut down the first time, which mm. was crazy. Because I was in uh, New York interning and they didn't pay you back then. So I was eating popcorn and jello for dinner every night. <laughs> Have you ever been in love? No. I am I am different like that. Like, I don't, I haven't found any person that I love in that way. Never. I get bored with people real easy. <laughs> Change your face. <laughs> What's your sign? Aries. And you like to fight too then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little argumentative. <laughs> I'm a little argumentative. Oh, God. Is that something that you aspire to, to be in a loving relationship? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody should aspire to that, I guess. I've been so hyper-focused on career that it hasn't really happened for me yet. Or is that a millennial thing? I notice a lot of the young people, they're not really concerned about having monogamous, really strong relationships in many of the millennials that I know. I think we all figuring it out still, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, like, the, just this new climate that we in, because I think that we reject or we are rejecting, like, the traditional notions of, like, marriage and just, like, commitment. And, and that's just, and that's in work and in love. Who's working in the same job, same place for 30 years anymore? A lot of us have seen marriages fall apart. Like, I watch people that I really care about, frankly, seem miserable in marriage. And they seem miserable in relationships. Like, I don't know, for, for me, it's actually, like, I'm more surprised when I see people in a happy relationship than I am when they're, like, kind of just going through the motions. Mm. Most folks I see in relationships don't, to me... And when I talk to them, they don't seem genuinely happy. And if they do, it's like a phase for like the first like few months or year or so. So are you having sex? Do you? Oh, this that kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Did you get yeah. it? I oh, mean. yeah. Yeah, never slow down. Like, I, was, I can't, can't see my mom with this podcast. But um, we ain't out here, you know, just living an Amish life. It's not in love. Okay, we just not in love. Yeah. Okay. DMs are open. Aaron Ronell on Twitter. A-R-O-N-R-O-N-E-L. Shoot your shot. I got good credit. Good other things, too. Let me find out. <laughs> Andy's got a big ego, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's not gonna find. I didn't know what I was coming into when I came here this morning. Woo! Seems like things are operating according to plan now for you. You kind of alluded to a space in your life where you were really trying to figure out things and where you belong and where you should be. Talk to me about a time where you may have thought that you were on the right track and then in hindsight, you realize that you were doing the wrong thing or involved in something that wasn't really for you. So in a way I'm blessed because I think that all of my experiences have helped make me who I am, which I think that's the truth for most people, for everybody. Because I was an intern in magazines and wasn't getting paid and was in New York eating popcorn two summers, I was traumatized by how poor I was as a journalism major in New York. And I was like, I don't want that. So when I got out of uh, college in 2011, I had always been in that group of kids that was expected to go to New York and work for the magazines or whomever, just make it happen in New York, you know? But I didn't want to be poor, keep it honest. So like, I found me a really good job randomly in construction and was making almost as much as I'm making right now at 22. So, like, when I would go out, I could go out and cover my friends. Like, yo, I got y'all. Like, it was just cool to be able to live in D.C. young and have some money. 
And then that turned into serving for a little bit. So I spent about four or five years after college not even touching journalism, which was bizarre. I had friends who every month would be like, yeah, so when you going to quit playing and come up here? You know, the friends who I'm actually going to go and link up with now who are PR like agents and actual like artists, handlers. And one of my other friends, like a Viacom exec and went at MTV News, like they've done their grunt work in New York the whole time. And so when I look back, like a part of me says like, you know, damn, like, did you waste those five years? Could you have been at the times three years ago? Could this five years have meant more salary for you negotiating wise right now when you go to the times now? I really don't lean into that. I choose to see it as like that five years coming to the point where like now I don't have anywhere near burnout. Like I'm ready to go, 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 go. Ask me the same question in two years. And like, you know what I'm saying? It might be a different, might be a different answer, but right now it's... You talked a little bit about not wanting to be poor in New York City. How important is money to you versus passion? Do you think you could work a job where you're making $350,000, but you hate it versus a job that you can't wait to go and do and show up for 35. I think it's about the balance to be honest. I'm not even going front. If I love it and I'm getting 35, I must not love it enough. I'm going to bounce out. Trust me. And if I'm making all this money and it ain't like my passion, it won't last. Again, I could have stayed at the construction job very comfortably and been cool, but I knew what I wanted to do was not construction for a living. At the same time, I think about that. Hopefully, would you rather be underpaid or overrated? I'd definitely rather be overrated. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me, give me the bag. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, like I know there are people out there who think that I don't deserve the times. Who think like, oh, he, he's an affirmative action hire. I don't give a damn. Give me the, cause you know that that bag is real, right? <laughs> give me the bag, and I'm cool with that. Like, got the the passion, I got the times, and I got the bag, and that's what I've always wanted. I, and I don't need a lot, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be like, I need to be, you know, just highfalutin out here. But, like, I've never, ever wanted to be, like, struggling. I really don't be buying into that, like, that that whack shit. Like, oh, you can't be much. No, actually, you can get a lot of happiness with money. Now, there are more problems that come with money. Don't get me wrong. But give me that bag. Give me that bag. <laughs> I am a capitalist. Give me that bag, boy. Like, what do you mean? So let's say 10-year-old Aaron, did you see yourself in this place on your way to New York to the prestigious New York Times? First off, I had a million different things that I thought I was going to be. Scientist, sports agent, musician, like all this different stuff. But um, even five years ago, two years ago, I couldn't imagine I would be at the New York Times. This is so sudden. Even when I was interviewing, she said that she loved me, one of the editors. I went to her assistant. I was like, why is she being nice to me? She can, she can just tell me, like, I ain't ready. I'm cool. I got tough skin. And she was like, yeah, she doesn't bullshit people. So she likes you. She likes you. And I was like, wow. Like, like I literally got lightheaded. The Times, for me, was at least, at minimum, five years off. So for them to see that in me, like, that was really crazy. Short answer, no. It's humbling. It lets me know that, like, I got a lot to prove. So it's definitely a challenge. It's one that I'm really looking forward to. I believe that opportunities come into your life when you're ready for them. There are times that I felt like I should be further along in my career. Mm -hmm. I should be this place versus that. Or I would look at other people and say, well, this person is not as talented or this person hasn't put in enough work. I would say maybe about five or six years ago, I totally changed the way that I think about things. Mm -hmm. And it's like God just started putting all of these different opportunities in my path. I think going into that space 
of um, you attracting this New York Times opportunity into your life is this is the time. So 29, 30, whatever, yeah. it does not matter. This is your time. And I'll be so excited to talk to you later to find out what more about this opportunity is really there. Because sometimes we think is one thing. And then when you get done, it really was about yeah. three other things yeah. that you didn't even consider. Mm -hmm. That laser vision is so important. That's why I don't I don't like Instagram. There was this girl I'm actually really excited to meet. Her name is Jenna Wortham. She's one of the tech writers at the New York Times. I really like Snapchat. And my friends in New York make fun of me because like, they're like, you always on Snapchat. She was like, Snapchat's where you go to be real. Instagram's where you go to curate, you know, and like, and to put up a facade. Instagram is just what that people want you to see. They'll be in front of a car that ain't there, but they want you to think that it's their car. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just all this front and just like people trying to posture themselves as like being greater what they are. And I totally understand why you would do that. I do. I do it sometimes. I've done it. You know what I'm saying? But I think that especially in like our society today, like that is so dangerous worrying about what other people got. It's a struggle, but I really am committed to like not focusing on what other folks are doing. In my intern class at Vibe Magazine, one of my closest interns, he's like the executive director for news at MTV News. Like, and I'm just like, damn, like, he's doing that. I'm just a reporter at the KC Star. It's like, shit. And then I have another friend. She's like Juice World, Keanu Lede's, um, Lil Pump's like manager. We were classmates at Howard. Another friend, he's on his... I think third million class or classmate at Howard. You know what I'm saying? So like pair myself to them at different times, like that's toxic. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to worry about your own journey and your own destiny. And I feel like when you do that, when you focus on yourself, you bring that energy to yourself, then that's when, you know, just shit happened. The times came to me actually. People don't know that. Like, I didn't apply for this. Like they came to me and I was that's why I was like, why y'all playing me right now? Like y'all know I ain't ready. Like keep me on the bench, coach. You waiting on Ashton Kutcher to jump you know, out the back. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Little did I know that they came to me because of the pieces that I wrote when I was focused on me. We all have that thing about us that makes us special. That's real cliche, but it's like, it's the truth. The stories that I wrote for the star, those are stories I think at the time that only I could write at that paper. And those are stories that got me this job at the time. I wish you well. Good luck with everything. You, I'm in the uh, city all the time. So I'm going to have to let you buy me lunch with this new bag you got. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like to eat good. Oh, so. okay. Let's do it. I think I'll take you to the nicest bodega in Harlem. What? <laughs> I don't want no hero sandwiches. No. <laughs> We gonna go to Red Rooster in Harlem oh, and she, let you take me to a to, nice to get yes <laughs> wine and dine exactly. Uh, okay, I owe you one. You've always been in my corner, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I can do that. Let's do it. You never know all the people, places, things that you see. Uh, you never know all the. Places, things.